conversation. Hello, my name is Lorianne Hernandez. I am Yaki and Mexican. I am a artist, roller skater, curator. I'm a vertical quad roller skater, which means that I ride skate parks um, on roller skates. How is that? Uh, it's a uh, really a challenge uh, because I um, am one of, usually the only person on roller skates and a lot of times the only girl at the skate park. Damn. So um, it's not an easy thing to learn. Plus, uh, you have to teach everything to yourself. <laughs> There's nobody out there to really teach, teach uh, roller skaters. When did you first start skating? Uh, well, I guess you could say I started, I taught myself how to skate when I was five, but, um, and I skated on and off until I was about 14 and I completely stopped. I left, I guess, peer pressure, you know, <laughs> you think you're growing up and you want to get rid of those, uh, uh, childish ways and then you see rollerblades and you're like wait that's the answer that's the answer to me being cool and I've bladed for 10 years after teaching myself when I was in my early 20s and um, it was it was good but then derby, roller derby came along and when roller derby came along that dominated my life for four years and um, uh, Eventually, I saw the light. I saw skating parks was going to be the, the thing that would fulfill my soul. And is it? Yeah, so far, it's, it's been everything that I have um, wanted uh, or I, everything I've needed. I've, I really don't feel like... I chose to be a roller skater. I kind of feel like roller skating chose me, or this style at least, um, because uh, it's not for everybody. And you really have to be ready to face some challenges without ever being appreciated for it. It's, it's so different than derby when you're doing roller derby you get so much fanfare and people ask for your autograph and uh, wow. and there's always there's always perks and different things uh, but um, with uh, skating parks you're lucky if you get a skateboarder to tap his skateboard for you <laughs> that's all you get and no smiles no smiles ever so that might must harden your heart a little bit or does it just make you want to go harder uh, well, it, it, it can do both. Um, I do try to relax and be a little friendlier, especially now that I'm not in California. In California, skating the parks is so competitive. It's just at a higher level, um, which was good because it got me to a, a higher level of skating. But then at the same time, you know, um, people give you the cold shoulder a lot and uh it's a real challenge just to for to get people to respect what you do i've 
been in California, I'd be at the skate parks for six months and nobody and know nobody's name until afterwards. Then people start, you know, telling me their names, you know, getting to know them better. But out here in Mississippi, you know, it's a lot smaller scene. And so everybody's a little bit more like family. So, um, so far, I've been pretty respected uh, for the style of skating I do. And uh, which is a surprise because I thought it would be a lot more uh, cold shoulder here in the South. Um, did you grow up in California? Yes, um, Riverside, California. My family has lived there for a little over 120 years. My dad's family was the first uh, Mexican family to migrate there. Um, and uh, my mom's family, they lived in Orange County for 120 years. and. That's the Yaki side, and they just walked from Arizona after being put on the reservation. Uh, so, um, yeah, of course, they, they didn't like the reservation, so they were like, forget this, we're going to where they're going to build Disneyland. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's more fun out there. <laughs> so you must have a lot of relatives out there. Oh, oh yeah, I probably have over a thousand relatives. I mean, they they did an official count in 1984 from one, my grandmother's mother, and she had almost 400 immediate family members in 1984. So this is 2000 wow. and 14. So I'm sure it's at least double or even tripled with the way my family uh, <laughs> contributes to the population. <laughs> and they know what I'm talking about, too. So <laughs> they, they won't deny it. So tell me about growing up over there in Riverside um, and like being like from there. Like uh, my my grandmother has never lived outside of the eight blocks that she was born. And she lives four blocks from the house that she was born. So um, it's... Uh, is there a cat fight? <laughs> can, you, can you hear my, my cat is irritated because I won't let him outside. <laughs> Bijou! Bijou, écoutez-moi, s'il vous plaît. I brought him back from Africa. Oh, oh when I, I went to Africa in 2012 and I brought him back and and he's freaking out because he wants permission to go outside. So he's, a, he's, a, he's a diva, that's for sure. He's, a, he's already traveled um, through three countries and uh, lived in uh, three different states. <laughs> so. Wow. <laughs> so tell me about your grandma. <laughs> well, she's not from Africa. She's from East Riverside. <laughs> But, um, yeah, um, uh, Chewy Chigoya, that was her nickname, or Chigoya was her last name, and her, her name is Jessie Chigoya, so 
my grandma Jessie, everybody, all her friends called her Chewy. And so, um, yeah, her whole family's lived there. And um, I, I have a huge family. My dad and mom grew up down the street from each other, Cridge Street in Riverside. And um, during integration, they were going to start busing white people from the white neighborhoods into the uh, Mexican and uh, black neighborhoods. And um, because of the controversy, the, uh, somebody bombed the school or set it on fire. Um, and uh, so they had to start busing the people of color out of the neighborhood to white schools. Uh, and uh, yeah, it was a really rare case because I've heard that uh, um, not very many people were getting had uh, white children and were sending them into schools of color to desegregate. And this was one of those schools and it, it ended up being um, uh, destroyed. So uh, that's why my mom and dad didn't meet each other until high school. And uh, that's how I came to be. <laughs> <laughs> Even though they grew up down the street from each other. So. Wow. So, um, yeah, but it was really interesting. Even, even my mom's side of the family, um, we do have a, also probably about two or 300 members in, uh, in Riverside, but we're spread out more. You know, Orange County, San Bernardino County, Riverside County. So, yeah, we have a huge... Uh, uh, hold on the population there in Southern <laughs> California, but people may not know that. <laughs> they might not know that. Well, baby, all oh, the leaves, the leaves, the leaves are brown, and the sky is gray. did you first get turned on to the possibility of being an artist? Late nights when I was uh, watching my uncle and my, my uncle Rudy and my cousin Freddie draw, they, they would start drawing about midnight and stay up till three, four o'clock in the morning, sometimes five o'clock in the morning just drawing. And um, it always intrigued me how uh, was almost a meditation for them, and I was wonder, and I wondered, you know, what is this thing that they're doing that takes so much thought and concentration? And so I was really intrigued by that aspect of it—not just the fact that you get to do a pretty drawing, but that it changes the mind, the frame of mind of the person making the art. And when I saw that, I think it was probably my third time that I stayed up late drawing with them. And after that, I just decided that I was going to take it seriously. And I was never going to not be making art. Um, and uh, 
and I did. I mean, I remember staying up late at night, everybody in bed. At that time, we probably had like, I don't know, maybe 15 people at my grandma's house. Wow. <laughs> it, it would range. It would go from 8 to, you know, 12, 15, 20, who knows? Like, I think the most we had was like 25 people <laughs> on and off in the house. But, um, you know, I would lock myself in the bathroom and use the top of the toilet seat to draw because it was like the only hard surface where I could turn on the light and be left alone and stay up late at night and draw on the toilet seats. <laughs> and, uh, and, then, and then go to sleep for a few hours and then wake up and play and do it again. I, I don't know very many kids who might have done that. How old were you at that time? 11, 12 years old. My Uncle Rudy and my cousin Freddie, they uh, have been in and out of jail a, a lot um, throughout their lives. And so when they would go to jail, they would uh, do what most people in jail do is probably like get tattoos, draw. Well, they would draw tattoos. Uh, my cousin Freddie was amazing calligraphist. And so, uh, and my uncle, Rudy, he was also a, an amazing uh, artist. And uh, I think the relationship that prison art has to the lowbrow movement is that it comes from a place that very few people have access to it. Mm. And um, it's, it's a world in its own. It's a world that is uh, um, incubated and, uh, and has its own rules. So the style of art that's developed from there has its own rules. And I think that's where prison art and uh, lowbrow art um, cross. And there's a tangent there. And um, I think that's where I stand. And. Uh, uh, by the time I got to junior high school, uh, and I knew that this was what I wanted to do, I there were electives and I could take art classes, and I was like, I'm going to go take an art class because I know I'm good at that. And, um, and it was uh, kind of heartbreaking because the teacher never even batted an eye with the things that I drew. And everybody else in class was... They were amazed by some of my drawings, and but uh, that teacher, I don't know, he, he gave me an A on one drawing and then a C on the other one, and I was like, <laughs> I, no, I, I ended up getting a C in the class, and I was like, but I did amazing work. He just didn't like the style of work I was doing. And so from that moment on, it just frustrated me. I decided I'm never going to take another art class again. And I didn't um, until my junior year in high school. My counselor pulled me into her office and told me that I needed to take a class, an art class. And I begged her. I was practically on my knees. Please, I don't want to take an art class. Like, can I take drama? Can't I take something else like uh, biology, science, <laughs> anything? And she's like, nope, you're going to take an art class, and that's what you're going to do. So that was 
my uh, introduction back into any drawing and painting classes. And uh, the teacher um, pulled out some watercolors and he said, yeah, we're, get, we're all gonna work on watercolor right now. And because of that experience that I had with my teacher, I told myself, I'm never going to work in color. I'm only going to work in black and white and number two pencil and ballpoint pen because that's the style of pinto art. And so I decided, you know, I, I told the teacher, well, I'm not doing this assignment because it's against my beliefs to do any color. I'm only doing black and white. What are you going to do? You can't make me make me uh, use color. And he said, well, then it, you're just going to fail the class, aren't you? And from that moment on, I, the very first painting I did for him with these watercolors, he was so impressed with it, and I actually blew myself away. I still have the painting, and um, he made an easel for it and displayed it for the next two years. What? <laughs> what was it? It was a perspective drawing using a... a Incan temples, and uh, I just used watercolor, and it, the, the sky in the background was a is a rainbow color, and um, and uh, I used the watercolor so thick that they started to shine and reflect, and um, it, it just reflect the paint whenever there is light on there, and I um, from that moment on like. I started painting in color and I didn't stop and um, it was just less than a year later that I was approached by uh, the, I think it was the senior class and they wanted me to design a mural for them. So I designed a mural and we put a huge tree with people inside of it and we had a, a poem by Haile Selassie I believe. And, uh, and I did go back and I looked at the mural and I thought, wow, it really needs to be updated. But, you know, 15 years later and there's no graffiti on it. Wow. And I've done about uh, maybe six murals, seven murals, it, it designed them and none of my murals have graffiti on them. I have a mural in Watts. I have a mural at a community center in East Riverside. Um, I have a mural in Santa Ana, California, which is actually a lot of homeless and a lot of uh, uh, street people are always hanging around. Uh, I, we're just surprised that it hasn't, that none of my work has been uh, tagged ever. But I think it's because I respect my roots and you can tell that in my artwork. So when people see that, you know, they respect the roots of where my artwork comes from. want to paint more like Rembrandt or like the Dutch masters so serious and so like dark colors and uh, very uh, 
serious, very serious, lay out serious moods. And for some reason, it my artwork comes out so vivid and like graffiti art colors. And I, and I want to tone them down and make them quieter. And I studied a lot of other things, anthropology, even um, education, just going back and forth, uh, trying to decide on which was the smartest or easiest easiest way to find my voice and um one day i was like wow look at the blues in that sky those that's a, a beautiful color blue and then i realized that people probably don't appreciate that shade of blue so i thought that that's when i realized that i was an artist and when i realized that i thought that nothing else is going to keep me away from studying art. I'm going to go back and study art, and I'm never going to walk away from it again. And no matter what people said to me, no matter what they did, I just continued in my art. And it was a real struggle because, uh, you know, I had to deal with other sometimes um, uh, graduate students who were teaching classes, you know, maybe saw um, that I thought differently. And so they wanted to put down uh, my ideas, and, which, had, which had happened several times. And um, it was really restricting. And, um, and in a way, I still kind of feel like I'm stuck in that restriction and I, I'm still trying to pull myself out of it because um, I'm an oil painter uh, at heart. I feel like that's the thing I have a passion for is oil painting, but you can't expect to work in oils quickly to get an assignment done. So that's due mid-semester, you know, or, or even at the end of the semester or even in two semesters. You look at oil painters and they take years to make one painting. So um, I kind of feel like efficiency and uh, the demand for our art in a certain market kind of pulled that, uh, uh, that desire away from me. And I ended up working a lot in acrylics in a collage, in um, doing Photoshop work. I still love it, even some photography. I, you know, just having an artist's eye in everything you do, you just evolve and roll with the punches. Um, in 2007 or 2008, I gave up my car completely and I stopped driving and I <clears throat> decided to roller skate to commute. Um, <laughs> getting too many tickets, parking tickets, speeding tickets, <laughs> talking on the phone tickets. That's when the, that's when the law had just changed, you know? So, um, I just thought, you know, I'm not going to let them beat me at this game. Mm -hmm. I'm going to figure out a way that I can get over this and around this and, and through this without them taking so much from me. And I tried to ride a bike the first uh, uh, few months, but I got hit by a car uh, a couple of times. What? <laughs> and I, I, I didn't break anything, but I was 
really jolted. And after that, I had already been doing daily skates of about eight miles. So I just thought, well, I'm already doing daily skates. I might as well just use that as a form of transportation because I've never been hit by a car on my quads. Um, so I uh, just started roller skating to get around and oh, people would laugh at me. Really? <laughs> They'd see me on the street and I would be, they, you know, oh, look at that girl, like what is she wearing? And she has this big old bag of stuff and she's on roller skates. And first, um, first year and a half, I had to get used to people just giving me really strange looks. Um, and after about a year and a half of carrying maybe anywhere from 10 to 12 pounds on your back with roller skates to get around town. Um, the bus was my office. The train was my office. I would draw there. I would take care of appointments on my phone, you know. Um, uh, I did a lot of drawing because of the train and the buses and not having to worry about driving was a big relief and um, it it helped my creative mind develop despite me having to design a show despite me having to work you know where with another person who may have access to a car oh I have 10 more minutes to wait to 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 get on the highway you know I had to be up and ready like an hour and a half, two hours, four hours ahead of time to get somewhere, depend, depending on where I was going. about curating tell me about how you begin begin that process in 2002 I saw some amazing artwork on this blanket at a powwow and it was on a skateboard I remember thinking why is this artwork on a blanket on some grass at the track and field center here at UCR, this is really bizarre. This artwork belongs in galleries and in museums. This does not belong on the floor. So I ended up talking to him and it ended up being Doug Miles. So um, when uh, I talked to him, I asked him if he was interested in being in any galleries or um, you know museum shows. And, he was funny. He looked around, looked at all the other people, and he said, would you show anybody else here or there? And I looked at them because I looked at him and I was like, why is he asking me this? And I was like, no, just your work. And it's not that I didn't appreciate the other people's style. It was just more craftsman style. This 
was different. You know, this was like throwing contemporary and traditional and something raw. It had so many elements to it that I just, and he had some awards. I, I remember seeing he had some awards that he had won. Um, it might've been from the Herb Museum, I'm not sure. But he had some, won some awards and I just thought, why is this man's award-winning artwork on the ground? I remember just being so <laughs> upset and so bothered by it that from that moment on, I was like, I'm going to find you some shows. And I worked with, with him um, for two years. We did his first show in 2004. It took me a long time, two years, for me to get his first solo show in Riverside. But I did it. And then... Um, when I saw the gallery at Cal State Fullerton, I thought, wow, I really like what they're doing here. I think I'm going to go to school here. And um, then uh, I decided to take a few of those classes, of the, some classes that I heard about for um, um, installing artwork into galleries and museums. So I just decided, well, I'm going to take some of those classes while I'm taking my drawing and pa painting classes. So by the time I was done with drawing and painting, I had already uh, was almost halfway finished with my degree for exhibition design for my master's degree in exhibition design. Wow. So I just decided I might as well just finish it and do it since I'm already there. And, um, and I wanted to get a, I wanted to get Doug a show there from the first moment I saw that gallery. And it took me seven years wow. to get that show. And it didn't initially start off as the show that it was. It started off just as a show for him. But as time grew on and as I was roller skating more and commuting by roller skates, I saw the need for multiple communities to empower themselves through mobility. And for Native Americans, that was skateboarding, and that's where Doug had come in. And for women, it was through roller derby for um, uh, uh, just different uh, cultures, hipsters, you know, it's the, 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 the bike trend and the fixed gear bike trend. And um, um, of course, uh, public transportation for youth and elderly and um, uh, putting a show and being able to, sh to show these connections in different communities it was better than just saying, okay, here's a Native American skateboard artist. You know, it was like, here's a Native American skateboard artist, and here's how he fit into all these different communities that you think does not relate. The show was amazing. We had uh, 2,400 people come to the opening, and 2,200 people come to the closing. Yeah, it was it was outrageous and um i was the first curator in history to roller skate on ramps in their own exhibition and it was the day after my birthday so we were all celebrating my birthday there <laughs> awesome yeah it was it was great and you know doug and i had worked together for so long and tommy lim who's another artist who i've worked for with four years as well. And then Corey Oberndorfer, who I hadn't worked with for that long, but he, he does derby uh, murals and installations. 
it was like we had all kind of become a family through the process of our art making and through our life experiences. Tommy and Doug, Tommy Limit and Doug Miles, they know each other and they've been friends. They met through me. And that those are the kinds of connections that I like to make. I don't just like to say, oh, hey, you're going to be a star, so I'm going to get your artwork and you're going to be the rock star. You know, I, I like finding those people who are um, uh, unrecognized, who deserve the, the recognition, um, who have completely dedicated their lives to what they do, um, and who try to put food on their table with their artwork. It's a real, real difficult thing to do. It's not impossible. It's difficult. It's not impossible anymore because we have uh, the internet and uh, multimedia, different resources that people can look to to find um, new artists. But uh, it's still really difficult. And even though I'm an artist, I would have ended up playing that begging game. Oh, please let me show at your gallery. Oh, please let me show at your gallery where because I am seriously looking for shows for artists, for shows that are going to help artists put food on their table, I learned the game better because I put other people before me. How much weight? How many twists till you break? How many hours to waste? On a slave way, trying to do my music and live. Trying to raise my children and give. Some men taste the power and love it. Serenaded and hold. Some say, it's about the cheddar. It's all about the letters. This is the edge. Who said the best things was not for you? When some get it, they lose the thirst, the hunger, the focus, they never come close. So they kill us, they post it. Stagnant divisions and fragments, feeling the change from the growing pains. Not doing what's supposed when it comes to a closed shot clock. The lot of Jesus still didn't know. There will be no change until you meet your way. Where do you want to go from here with your work? Are you like still super interested in curating or are you getting back into yourself as an artist? Um, well, I still do a lot of uh, consulting for artists who are up and coming. One of them, Pavel Acevedo. That's one guy you're going to want to keep your eye out for. He's a, a Oaxacan artist, uh, uh, recently moved to Riverside, but showing all over L.A., o O.C., and uh, the I.E. Um, I also found a really young 18-year-old artist uh, here in Mississippi, Gavin Bird, who I met at the skate park. And um, he showed me some of his work. And he's like, yeah, the only one that's good enough to show is this painting that he did. I, and I looked at the other uh, sketches that he's done. And I thought, wow, all of these deserve to be shown. So um, we show his work. And, one exhibition I did here in Mississippi, my first, the first show I curated um, here in Mississippi, and it sells. The work he thought that wasn't good enough sold. And to somebody in San Francisco, wow. from Mississippi. And so he did, it just built his, confident and now, his confidence, and now this guy is um, gonna be designing stuff for t-shirts, for skate, Crews for uh, uh, logos, and that 
just set him off. You know, he's he, now now he's on his career path. And those are the kinds of things that I like discovering people who I can help just set free and release. I don't want to sit there and babysit somebody from beginning to end. You know, I'll give people advice, but you know, if 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 I do my job successfully, they're not going to need me in 10 years. You know, <laughs> that's the way I look at it. <laughs> nice. So what's some of the advice that you give to people in order to allow them to pursue their own inspirations? Of course, develop your own style. That's the number one thing. Uh, you'll be surprised what doodling can unlock. Uh, stay true to your style. Some people are going to look at your work and they're going to say, oh, um, you know, you could sell your work if you just tweak it this way a little bit, if you just do that to it. Um, I always tell artists, don't, don't take that advice because um, those people, that it's usually people who are trying to create something that is sellable for them and make money from it. And what ends up happening is you box yourself in and there's no way to get out. So um, stay true to your style. And then the next thing is uh, develop a fan base. So that way, uh, after you stay true to your style and develop your own style, the next thing to do is to uh, gain an audience and have that audience, a dedicated audience. It will be easier to get into galleries and, uh, and uh, um, galleries will respect you more if you've already developed an audience than if you go in there trying to get them to develop an audience for you. And how, what about on a personal level, like for you, what have, what have you followed for your own inspirations to keep yourself inspired with your work while doing all this selfless work for other people, you know, <laughs> where's, where's you in this? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> I, for a long time, I had been drawing in those sketchbooks a lot of indigenous women and just trying to connect. I got rid of the color again and I just went back to black and white and I let the black and white take over uh, my thought process. So that way it created its own, uh, it's, it became its own entity. It was uh, like uh, me trying to develop its, the composition through uh, laying everything out in black and white. Because with color, it's so easy to lie with color and to say, oh, this will look good here and, uh, and, and have it not look like anything, but it looks good because it's a bunch of pretty colors. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> yeah, you know that style of art. So, um, yeah, so I ended up just getting rid of color altogether and um, focusing on my own subconscious and also doing a lot of research. Since I was in the curating field, I had to do a lot of a museum um, 
uh, visits and research, and I found so much more. Uh, I found out so much more about uh, my own culture, my own indigenous culture, and the artwork and how it's affecting our artwork and how it's affecting our thought process and our style and our approach to uh, creating and approach to life in general. Uh, so by doing that research and by doing and by creating the artwork, um, I found an identity through that. It was really interesting because uh, I could finally accept myself after all this time of just fighting and being told by people, oh, what country are you from, you know, uh, right here. No, what country are your parents from, right here. No, what country are their parents from, right here. <laughs> I don't understand you, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and, you know that time when when I met you in New Mexico um, during the India market, it was it felt like home because it was the only time where nobody ever asked me where I was from, where they just knew. Wow! They just knew that that's who I was and where I was in my element, and I could feel beautiful because I was me, because I was just. This, this indigenous female on a, on a creative journey to explore more about herself. And people could recognize the beauty in that in Santa Fe. But you get outside of there and it's like people think, you know, you're from another country or they, or, you know, if, if you look really native, they think, you know, like that you don't belong here. And it's really hard to be a foreigner in your own land um, and uh, to try to uh, still feel like you have a reason to justify your stances. And I think that's part of the reason why I invest so much into art. So do you deal with those issues in these drawings that you're doing right now? Uh, yes and no. I think I'm kind of being a big sissy. <laughs> I, <laughs> I can't believe I'm saying this right now. <laughs> well, you just gave some profound knowledge and like passion and then you're like, and no. <laughs> well, okay. I Because I'm still kind of on a search for what it is that I'm supposed to be creating. I'm still kind of I'm I'm propping it up with other um, <laughs> other other things that might help make feel make people feel like they need to see the work that I'm doing, mm. like or they need it. So um, I'm using skaters, which is kind of the prop. Uh, I've I've left like the indigenous women. I'm still kind of using that whole indigenous theme. I'm using the same exact process, but on a bigger scale, 
and I'm bringing in real people. I'm taking the romanticized indigenous female out of it, and I've switched it with a, with a, with a, let's say, like uh, skateboarders and roller skaters, real skateboarders and real roller skaters. And, um, you know, um, the, the first one I did was for a friend of mine, and, uh, and she really appreciated it. Her and her boyfriend are uh, big role models for the skate community here in Mississippi. And, um, and I just appreciate everything that they're doing. So to put her in the context of those indigenous women, to be able to get that identity and to transfer it, you know, it's like you do start seeing that indigenous, the, this indigenous uh, heart, it's, it's, people carry it in other ways. People mm. see it in other ways. You may not, you may not think that person has anything to do with Native American culture, but maybe they understand, um, they have a connection to something bigger, which is what I feel a lot of Native people feel. Um, they have a connection to something bigger, but um, but how to access that? since uh since this is since we're kind of foreigners in our own land how to access that is a it it's it's a hard process so when i find people who have done that like my friend who's a roller skater um liz and um like some of these other skateboarders when you look at um tony alva or uh stacy peralta um, Mike Carroll, just name a few legends, um, Peggy Oki. These people uh, have given up their lives to be owned by something that's bigger than them. And they've found the way to connect to that bigger idea. And I think that's why I'm choosing them to be put <laughs> as the... <laughs> as the thing to to replace the indigenous female right now but who knows where it's going to go after that i don't i don't know I, i'm starting to work in color again but it's still very monochromatic it's like maybe there's a little bit of red and blues but it's still mostly black and gold and silvers very very still very monochromatic i haven't busted back out into graffiti style yet but we'll see <laughs> that's gonna come don't worry it'll come it'll like uh, the 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 siquero spirit will in, inhibit me and i'll start going crazy you know who knows mexican murals all over mississippi <laughs> so i was gonna ask how is it living in mississippi and like coming from a place where your peeps are from the good thing about having such deep roots for from in California is that I can respect people who has the, the people who have that kind of lineage here. And it's, there's so many people who are related to each other, who know each other. It's such a small town. And, uh, I, it's been an adjustment, not the people themselves. Everybody here takes care of me, but the adjustment 
is well first of all there's no public transportation which that my whole life revolved around that <laughs> and there's there's no sidewalks and even if there was a sidewalk you probably would not want to be walking down that sidewalk alone or rolling down that sidewalk alone because there's snakes and deer and bears and alligators <laughs> and spiders as big as your palm and wild wild hogs that will chase you if they see a packs of wild hogs and deer uh, lots of deer and I, a, a deer did hit me already uh, three weeks after I got my car in the um, it didn't total my car it just kind of you know injured the front end but uh, it was a 400 pound deer and so imagine that at 50 miles an hour so I'm not after after roller skating for five years and driving for six for three weeks I <laughs> I, I get hit by a deer <laughs> So that was some culture shock, yeah. <laughs> yes, it's some culture shock, and and I don't think I'm ever going to end with a culture shock here. It is answering a lot of questions where I think, oh wow, now that in my history book makes sense. Oh wow, now this uh, way of eating makes sense. Oh, now I get this. Now I get that, because of the. The, the school where I work at now, it's an HBCU, Historically Black University. And um, right behind the school is a town where they were actually going to put the country's capital there. Whoa. So it was almost in the south, but it ended up being in the north. Maybe that was better in the long run. But um, yeah, um, so I, there's a lot of history to learn from here and it's answering a lot of questions that um, or a lot of gaps that I had of understanding what happened to my family understanding um, uh, uh, just the journey of the American uh, of American society so it's it's answered a lot and I really don't feel like I'm through here in the South yet, but when I'm done, I'll know I'm done because it gets cold here. <laughs> Everyone makes the same wave at the same time. Like on water. And we call love those interrupting lines. A community. So let's join hands. What I was asking you earlier about inspirations, like, I know you're like doing a lot of teaching and mentoring and stuff right now. So what, what are some motivational things that you use as an artist? Uh, people's real life stories actually really help me um, just their real life struggles to remind me uh, maybe what I'm going through isn't so bad or you know uh, I'm, I'm always looking 
for stories, for inspiration, whether I hear it on the radio, whether I meet them in person. Um, but um, I do remember hearing a story of a little girl and her brother who were put on a train to go to the internment camps during um, the Holocaust. And um, I think part of the reason why I relate to uh, uh, the stories of the Jewish Holocaust is because my family only goes back so far and then we have no idea where we came from or who we were or you know, um, uh, our stories, because something happened to those people, something happened to the lineage. So I remember hearing the story of a little girl who was taken with, with, her, little, with her brother, put on a train for the internment camp, and as they got on the train, he dropped his hat and he bent over to pick him up and she said, can't you do anything? Like, can't you just watch what you're, what you're doing? And she said that those were the last words that she said to him and he was pulled off the train and she never saw him again. And um, from that moment on, she thought she, she wanted to make sure after she survived the Holocaust, she wanted to make sure that any words that she used were could be anybody's last words. Mm. So when you think about it, you know, that that story was really stuck in my mind because you know, you never know when with, with the internet, with people just saying stuff and it being so much easier to communicate What's the value, what value are we putting on what we're saying to people? And um, are we genuine about it? And so I hope just to be able to approach things um, with that in mind. How do you find balance and how can you explain the process of like keeping everything alive and nourished in your life? I'm just going to laugh at my answer because... <laughs> Would obsession be a good enough <laughs> reason that I'm obsessed and that, um, you know, if I'm not doing what I need to do and, and um, skating at the park or painting or drawing or helping somebody or feeling like I'm being productive, then I'm not doing anything. My only answer to that is obsession because Otherwise, I'd probably just be sitting on the couch watching Netflix. <laughs> it seems like artists have to like have a certain amount of obsession in order to survive. <laughs> That's the only way I can explain it is it these these things become an obsession. The way I skate, the the feeling of of it, riding up a a 10 foot wall at, I don't know, 10 miles an hour, you know, there is a certain degree of uh, exhilaration that you get. But um, it, uh, skating became a healthy addiction. Painting became a healthy addiction. 
um, curating just be, for me became a necessary tool to help other people's addiction. <laughs> oh, you're addicted to art? Okay, let me, uh, I got the prescription for you right here. <laughs> yep, this uh, gallery right here, they'll, they'll help you, they'll hook you up, don't worry about it. <laughs> What's your one thing that if you could share something with the world, um, and this is your forum, what would you say? Don't allow outside things to distract you from the magic that exists inside of you. There's this thing that exists, and so many people try to stomp out this magic inside of you. It could be family members, it could be people you look up to, friends. Um, they'll call you crazy. Um, they will tell you that it's not worth it and that you're going to get nowhere. Um, but look for the magic, search for the magic, and in that magic, it, has the ability to uh, to birth your dreams. You can accomplish these things. I've had so many dreams that I've listed over um, throughout my life, and I can't believe, like in the last ten years, I've just been checking them off left and right. Yep, done that, done that, done that, done that. Um, but hang gliding, I haven't done that yet. <laughs> hang gliding. I'm going to get there though. <laughs> and so, you know, um, there's so many elements that make us who we are and, uh, and, uh, discover those elements. You're not made, humans aren't made of one thing. We're made of multiple things. We're made of, of a conglomerate of ideas and concepts and, and, uh, and images and influences and, Follow your heart's desires and passions, because when you do, um, you're not only helping yourself, you're helping the rest of the world, because when they see you, they're going to say, wow, I can do it. I have dreams that I can ac accomplish, and I can do it. And that's the reason why I put up with my bruises and battery getting beat up at the skate park and you know because I know it's a it's been a dream of mine and if somebody sees me maybe they'll want to follow their dream as well
I'd like to give a shout out to all of my skate sisters in Long Beach and the LBC. This is L7. I miss you guys. I can't wait to skate with you again. Uh, and it will happen soon.